chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, they bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Yeah, we celebrate this time of year, the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus Christ, and he is hailed as the Prince of Peace. And yet we look around the world that we live in, and we don't see a lot of peace. We look within our own country, and within the past few years, we've seen all kinds of crazy things taking place with different riots and different demonstrations and different protests happening across our country. We look a little outside of our borders and we see all kinds of horrible things taking place. We think of the war that's taking place in the Ukraine right now. We also think of the war taking place in Israel. And you just look at the destruction that's there. You look at the atrocities that are taking place. And you look at the horrible things that are happening all around us. And we come to passages like this with angelic proclamations saying that there is peace on earth and goodwill to those with whom God is pleased. And we sit back and we think to ourselves, how can it be so? Like how do we sit there and claim that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace when just flipping on the news for about 10 seconds proves otherwise? Well, I think it's important for us to remember, important for us to acknowledge the kind of peace that Jesus Christ ushers into the world and the kind of peace that was being proclaimed on that cold morning. And see, we aren't promised that we are going to have peace and good days in this lifetime. No, in fact, as we come to this idea and we come to this fact of peace, Jesus, when he was meeting with his disciples the night before he was going to be crucified, he gathered them together, and one of the last things he said to them was, listen, in this life you will have trouble. And not just like little trouble. Not just like I lost my keys trouble, or oh man, the milk's gone bad in the fridge trouble. But no, real trouble, serious trouble, heartbreaking, life-crushing, day-ending trouble. But then Jesus Christ continues that sentence and he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know, you have this idea of the peace that Jesus brings. And it's so different than the peace that this world knows about. You know, over the last few weeks, as you look towards the Middle East between Israel and Hezbollah, they ordered a ceasefire for a period of time. And for a period of time, the guns stopped shooting and the missiles stopped firing so they could get aid to hostages and exchange hostages and do these things they need to do. And some people sit there and say, oh, look, here's this time of peace. 
But you know, when you look at what the Bible says and what the Bible talks about peace, even in the New Testament, it's a translation of the Hebrew word shalom. And when you look at what shalom means, it, it means a kind of peace and a kind of rest. It, it means safety and security and health with no fear of any bad times coming ever again. To have shalom is to have rest and assurance. And I'll tell you what, during the ceasefire taking place or that took place during that Middle East, there was no shalom there because there was always a threat that things were going to kick back up again at any moment. And so this peace that Jesus brings in and ushers into the world, it's a very different thing than the world knows. First and foremost, we have to ask ourselves, well, what kind of peace is it that Christ brought if he didn't bring peace to our circumstance and peace to our governments and peace just to our daily lives? What kind of peace did he bring? Well, he brought with him peace with God. See, we don't like to think about it too much, but as we are born into this world, we are born as rebels. We are born as sinners. We are born enemies of God. And as we live out our daily life, there's nothing in us really that wants anything to do with God. There's nothing in us that wants to serve him. There's nothing in us that wants to please him. There's nothing in us that wants to do anything for him. And yet while we were in that state, Jesus Christ did something magnificent for us. Jesus Christ did something life-changing for us. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, it says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ entered into the world, he didn't do so to bring nations together. He didn't do so to bring different religious groups together. He didn't do so to heal wounds within families. He didn't do so to make people get along and agree. He had a much higher goal and a much higher purpose because when Christ entered the world, he came so that we could have peace with God. He came that we could have peace with our creator. And he did so by forgiving us of our sins. He did so by dying on the cross so that when Jesus sees us and God sees us, he no longer sees our actions and our ability and our effort. But instead, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. And because he sees the perfect righteousness of his son, because we are declared innocent, not by our own doing, but by the doing of Jesus Christ, well, the wrath of God is no longer upon our lives. There is now, as scripture says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have peace with God because the punishment of our sin has literally passed over us onto Christ Jesus. And when he died on the cross, he took that wrath of God. He took the punishment from God upon himself so that we would never have to suffer it. That's why we have peace with God today. You also notice in the scripture that this peace that we have with God, the question we have to ask is, to whom is this peace given? Because it's not a universal peace that Christ offers. 
It's not a universal salvation that Christ offers. And we know that from our daily experience. But the peace that we have and the peace that we enjoy, it's for a specific people. And it says right there in the text in Luke chapter 2, the angels are there, they're declaring the glory of God. They're declaring what has happened and what he has done. And they say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what we see in this piece of scripture is that there's really a dichotomy that's created in the world. There's a group of people with whom God is pleased. And then there's another group of people with whom God is not pleased. And those people with whom God is pleased, there is peace. And for those people with whom God is not pleased, there is no peace. So now, I don't know about you, but the big question that I have when I read things like that and I see things like that in the scripture is, well, how can I be one of those people with whom God is pleased? Because I don't want to be in the other camp. Like, peace is a great thing. Peace is a good thing. Peace is a wonderful thing. I want that in my life. I want peace with God. I want peace with my family. I want peace with my neighbors. I want peace in this life and in the life to come. So how is it that we can find favor with God? How is it that we can make sure that God is pleased with us? You know, a lot of people think that it has to do with the idea of, of being good and following a set of rules. The Pharisees are really good about that. They looked at the law and they looked at what was prescribed to them. They looked at what God demanded and they said, you know what, I'm going to meet every single little bit of this law that I can. And they went so extreme with it that they even put these laws and these rules in place and practice that God never intended for them to do. You think of the general concept of the tithe that they would have to give to the temple every year. They were supposed to give 10% of everything they harvested and they grew. And yet the Pharisees would come in and they would look to their small herb gardens where they would grow dill and mint. And they would even tie the 10% of the herbs that they were growing in their home so that they could be righteous, so they could be holy, so they could be good. It was prescribed that the priests were to wash their hands in a ceremonial fashion before they entered and did work at the temple. And so the Pharisees said, well, if it's good for the priests to do as they approach God, it must be good for us to do too. And so they had this practice of washing their hands ceremoniously before they would eat. Some who were truly devout would go and they would wash their hands in between each course of food they ate. Some people even would go through this process in between each bite that they took. So they could show the world how holy they were. So they could show the world how good they were. So they could show the world how righteous and what good, obedient followers they were to the Almighty. And yet they missed the part of Scripture where it says, you know, all of man's righteousness is as filthy rags. See, we can't earn our way into being pleased with God. We can't earn our way that God is suddenly going to look at us and say, oh, look, you've done enough. Oh, look, you met the mark and you hit the bar. Now you're living in a way that makes me happy. So here, have this peace that I'm going to offer you. That's not how it works. You can come to church every single week and still not know peace. You can read your Bible every single day and still not know peace. There are people who have spent their entire careers and their entire lives studying and learning about the text of the New Testament scripture. 
They teach it in colleges and they teach it in seminaries even, and yet they have no peace because they're not in that category of people with whom God is pleased. Because it is not about the works that we do. It's not about the performance that we give that suddenly puts us in right standing with God. And so, man, the question that's got to be burning in your heart is, then, well, then what is it? How do we find ourselves in that category? It's interesting because the word here that's translated as pleased is only used two other times in the New Testament. One of those times is in the parallel passage found in the Gospel of Matthew. So that's basically saying the same thing. The other places that we find it is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. In this passage of scripture, Jesus has just finished condemning unrepentant, unbelieving cities. He has just cast judgment upon these places who have denied the Lord and his work. And then this is what he says. In verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This word for pleased comes with the idea that God has revealed himself not to the wise, not to those who think they can do it on their own, not to those who believe they are self-sufficient and self-righteous, not to those who believe they can work their way into God's good graces, but instead, God has revealed Christ to little children. And it's those ones to whom God finds favor. It is those with whom God is pleased. Now, what's the context of little children in, in, in this passage? Why is it that we are told that we need to have faith like children? Why is it that we are told in Scripture that unless you become like one of these little ones, you will never inherit the kingdom of God? What well, has to do with just the way children are? See, children are really good at one thing. They are good at receiving and being dependent upon their parents. I don't know if you've had the experience before, but have you ever had like your little kids with you when you go through a store or maybe you go through a restaurant, maybe you're buying groceries, but all of a sudden that time comes when you're in the checkout line and you've scanned all your things and it comes time to pay. Or you're sitting at the restaurant and all of a sudden your, your, the bill comes and they leave the, the bill there on your table. Have any of you had your really young children all of a sudden reach up and say, hold on, Dad, I've got this one? That's never happened to me. My kids just kind of sit there, you know, oblivious to the fact that any kind of transaction's taking place, oblivious to the fact that money is changing hands. They just kind of sit back and they just let it happen. 
And I sit down, I take out my card, and I put my card on the table, and I pay the bill. Well, you know what? That's one of the things that God is pointing to when he says we need to be like little children. My, my kids don't even have a concept of what money is and how much it's worth and, and how far a dollar can go. Why? Because they've never had to pay for anything themselves. Because dad always takes care of it. And it's to such an extent that there's never even a question as to whether or not dad's going to take care of it or not. It's just a presumed fact that, man, we go out to eat and dad's going to take care of the bill. We go to the store and dad's going to pay the bill. Whatever bills come in, whatever we need in this life, whether it's food in the house, mom and dad are going to get it. Whether it's clothes on our back, mom and dad are going to get it. How are they going to pay for it? I don't know. Not my problem. Not my concern. That's the attitude of children in the home. And so as we sit there and we come to God and we, we, we see the standard that's listed for us in Scripture, we see the fact that God demands perfection. We see the fact that God calls upon us to be righteous and holy and pure. And as we live our lives and we look at ourselves, we realize very quickly we are not righteous and holy and pure. I don't know what situation you find yourself in this morning, but as I look at my life and I look at the past 36 years that I have lived, there is a mountain of regret. There is a mountain of mistakes. And there is a mountain of sin. And so I compare my life to the standard of Scripture, and I sit back and I go, I don't meet up. There's a sin debt that I have, or at least there's a sin debt that I had. And when I sit there and I come to Christ and I, I have this idea of, well, how am I going to meet that standard? How am I going to live up to the perfection that God requires? The attitude that I am to have as I come to the cross is not my problem. Not my concern. Because there's no way I can pay that bill. But my father can my Savior can, and he did when he gave his life on the cross. And so as I live day to day, I seek with all my heart to serve God and live for him and honor him and glorify him. But I never presume for an instant that I'm going to do it to the level that he expects. I'm going to do the very best that I can to honor and glorify Jesus Christ in my life, but I'm never going to presume that I ever do that perfectly. And yet when the bill comes, I know that my Father in heaven has paid the debt. I look to Jesus Christ and I say, that sacrifice is sufficient for me because my heavenly Father said it was. And when we approach God that way, when we approach our Savior with that understanding that I come to the cross with empty hands, that I come to the cross never being able to live up to that standard, that I come to the cross understanding that no amount of work will ever put me in right standing with my Lord. 
And yet everything that God said was sufficient is. That when God said the cross was sufficient for me, I believe it. When God said that it is by his wounds that I am healed, I believe it. When my father said he has secured a place for me because of the work, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I believe it. We call that faith. And see, that's the key element. When we talk about how is it that we're going to please God? How is it that, that we are going to find favor with him? How is it that he's going to look upon us and say that, yes, peace will come to you because you are in that category of those with whom I am pleased? It's those that come to the Lord in faith. Because the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever who would draw near must believe that he exists. And then he rewards those who seek him. See, we live in a culture that doesn't like the idea of a free handout. We live in a culture that doesn't like the idea of grace and mercy and love. We say we do because they're really nice things and they're good things. But man, that first moment when we find ourselves in need of charity... It's suddenly not so honorable of a thing anymore. In fact, there are some people in our culture that look down upon others who take charity because, man, we should be able to stand on our own two feet. We should be able to earn it ourselves. We should be able to take care of us and our own. We should be able to do everything that we need to do in this life under our own power, under our own strength, and under our own ability. And the gospel flies in the face of all that thinking because the gospel says you can't do it. You need to have the faith of a child that presumes that their father is going to take care of them. You need to have the faith of a child that says, you know what, there's no way that I can pay this bill. But at the end of the day, that's not a concern because I know who my dad is. We need to come with open hands and empty hands that say, while I have nothing to give and nothing to offer, in faith I believe that the man on the cross is sufficient for my righteousness. I believe that he who died for me will give me new life. And that no matter what I have and no matter what I experience in this world, whatever hardships may come, I am at peace because I am at peace with my Father. See, if you hold on to this truth, if you hold on to this fact, that <laughs> There's nothing we can do, but it's all been done for us. It changes the way you live in your daily life. It changes the way you experience things. When all of a sudden hardship and trials come, you're not fretted and worried because you know that your father has taken care of you. When all of a sudden things don't go your way and the world is crumbling around you and things don't seem to make sense anymore, you stand there with confidence because, you know what, I know who my father is and he is going to make all things right one day. And because he said it, that's good enough for me. See, a life of faith leads to a life of peace. Not because there's something special in us that all of a sudden, ooh, I have this faith and I have this belief and that's the, what's going to make everything okay. No, it's the object of that faith that makes everything okay. It's because the one in whom we have placed our faith is mighty and strong and sovereign and above all, good. 
And it's by placing that faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we please him. It's by placing that faith and trust in Jesus Christ that our Heavenly Father smiles. It's by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us that all of a sudden God looks at us and says, yes, peace on earth to those with whom I am pleased. So where do you sit this morning? Can you say that God is pleased with you? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you stopped trying to earn his good graces and instead lived your life in service because of the love you have and the gratitude you have for what's already been done? Are you still trying to earn that blessing from your Heavenly Father? I think one of the reasons we struggle in this area is because we look at our relationships with our own parents. You know, you know growing up, and, and living day to day to day. My parents divorced when I was in about first or second grade. You know, my dad lived off somewhere else. And I remember for a really long time struggling with the idea of what it is to be accepted and what it is to be a man and what it is to, to really be a, seek approval from those around me. And, you know, there was one day that I was talking with my dad about something and, and you know, I had my wife and I had my kids and, and, you know, we were living life and doing things. And, man, my dad looked at me and he said, you know, I'm really proud of you and the life that you've built. And oh, that changed everything. Suddenly I was grounded and suddenly I was secure and suddenly I felt like, yeah, I finally did it. Why? Because I got the approval of my dad. And we take that same kind of belief and that same kind of mentality and we try to transfer it over to God thinking, man, if I can just earn a little more and if I can just be a little better and I can just do a little more, then maybe I'll be accepted by my heavenly father. And God looks down and says, I already accept you. And it has nothing to do with your performance, but it has to do because when I see you, I see my son, Jesus. So as we come through this Christmas season and we celebrate the advent of peace into our world, let's realize that we don't have to strive and we don't have to suffer and we don't have to just grit it out trying to make God love us anymore. He already loves us perfectly. He's already given us his son. What more could he give? This Christmas, let us remember and celebrate the fact that we have peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that as you came into this world, you brought peace, life everlasting, the forgiveness of sin. We thank you, Lord that you have revealed to us, your little children, the truth of the gospel. And we ask that as we live each and every day, that we would do so with love and joy and appreciation for what you have accomplished. Let us not waste our time trying to earn your affection. It's already there because we belong to you. But instead, let us live our days humbly serving our Savior out of the love and gratitude we have for the peace that has been given. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we praise you all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.